I remember to turn my phone down. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, y'all. What is going on? What is going on? It's your girl, Melba Pearson, Melba from Miami, Melba for Justice, also known as the Resident Legal Diva. And it is time for another Mondays with Melba. A um, little bit of a somber topic because that's just where we are as a country right now. Um, first of all, I want to center the people of the city of Buffalo who have endured a horrible racist mass shooting. I want to center the people of Uvalde, Texas, which is going to be the focus of our conversation today. But I also want to center the people over the weekend who lost loved ones or witnessed multiple mass shootings in several different cities. We're hearing a lot more about the term mass shooting just because of the fact that it's being defined as four or more shootings, basically four or more people injured or killed in the same incident. And my guest can definitely dive into a little bit more about that, those designations and what it means. But the fact of the matter is we're losing life at such a high rate, it seems like. I don't know if it's social media. I don't know what the drivers are, but it's definitely very concerning. So rather than just rehash the, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is so awful. I really wanted to think through different solutions that the listeners and folks viewing this can learn from and maybe help get behind and advocate and bring to your you know, jurisdiction or to your city. So with all of that being said, I'm so excited to bring on Eddie McGovern, who uh, is just this awesome dude who's really created this new platform that can potentially save lives. And that comes from his experience. So, Eddie, thank you so much for joining me on Mondays with Melba and welcome. Glad to be here, Melba. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So can you tell everyone a little bit about your background and sort of what led you to wanting to develop this app? And then we'll talk a little bit more about what it does. Yeah, I spent 22 years in law enforcement uh, with the Hallandale Beach Police Department in Broward County, Florida. Uh, during my career uh, that ended in 2020, I retired as a major to do this full time. But um, during that time in my career, I had responded to two mass shootings. Uh, none of which were in my city, uh, just by coincidence, uh, which the first one was the Fort Lauderdale airport shooting in 2017. And then I responded to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in 2018. And seeing our response challenges and our lack of innovation to have better technology available to us, I decided to leave law enforcement to try and create uh, new systems for us to respond to a critical event, leveraging technology with that. Awesome. So tell us a little bit more about your company, what is called, you know, why you selected that name specifically, because I think there's always messaging, you know, around why you did what you did and what you're trying to achieve. So can you, you know, dive a little more deeply into that? So my company is Sarah Software Incorporated, the product that we created is called CERA, C-E-R-A, and that stands for Critical Event Response Applications. And what that is, is a threat response platform for public safety to respond to an emergency. And then on the other side of that, on the citizen side, we created a duress application that directly connects to the jurisdictional police department where the emergency is and provides us key information to swiftly respond to that event. Why was that so important? I mean, is this something that happened in Parkland? Like what, you know, what kind of led to that? 
So when you think of traditional communications with public safety, you have incoming information that comes in through 911, outgoing information which goes out over radio to officers. Both of those are what I call all purpose. They're used for everything. Uh, and they're also antiquated. And we just do not have the capabilities with those two systems to handle the speed and volume of information in a critical event. And I use the example of, let's say, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, where you may have upwards of 100 calls coming in in the first minute or two of that incident. At most, you have, and this is being generous, 10 call takers to take those calls because they're, they're, those positions are manned for every day, not for something you know, unusual like this. So 10 call takers, 100 calls, looking about a minute or call, a call at least, that's 10 minutes into the event. And, and you look at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, it was over in six. So we're already way behind, and we haven't even gotten the information out. The police going out is the same bottleneck because with two-way radios, you can only talk one at a time. So to have 100 officers now responding and trying to share information back and forth one at a time, everything slows down. And this is where we get behind, and there's a lot of good information coming in that we never get because it's just too late. And that's what slows us down. Yeah, because wasn't that a big problem at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas site that there was something about, and this is where you can maybe clear up some misconceptions or whatever, but like everybody was on different channels. So folks couldn't really get information. So one, you know, multiple departments responded, but not everybody could communicate the same way. Right. And that kind of slowed right. down. That, that's what happens. And, and you have, let's say the channel that Parkland's on. That channel is only designed to handle so many officers on it. Once you get to a certain level, then it kind of, you know, picture the, the computer blue screening. That's where it just, it's maxed out. Mm -hmm. And then you start losing communication. Uh, then you have the issue of other radios, other channels that officers are on. Trying to bring all those together uh, is very difficult. And it's just, it, it takes too long. It takes too long to do. Even if you're successful, you're coming in way behind the incident. So the goal of Sarah was to create a platform that number one gives us a visual because we don't have that on scene. Mm. When we get on scene, we have nothing but what we're hearing over the radio. When you look at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, when you look at a lot of these events, we're on scene using a dry erase marker on the trunk of a car, you know, drawing maps and trying to write down where people are because we have Wait, the Stop, stop, stop. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You're saying that 20, you know, 2017, 2018, I'm not talking mm -hmm. like 19 something, 20 something, 2018, you have officers that are literally using a marker on a car to try to map out where people well, are. You can say 2022 because most agencies are still doing that. And that's wow. because wow. we don't have that technology out in the field. We may have advanced that in stuff like real time crime centers or in certain large police departments, but 80% of the police departments in this country are less than 100 officers. And they don't have the budget or the resources to have that kind of technology. They're often priced out of technology that even provides that. And for officers on scene, it's just not common. You may have it at the, like I said, at the crime center or the dispatch level. But on scene making decisions, that's what we have. Wow. Wow. The big contrast to what you see on TV. On TV, yeah. they, you know, and that's that's kind of why I think a lot of our citizens don't know about that because they see what's on TV and they assume we have you know, all this great technology and these holograms and facial recognition all over the place. But in reality, we're out there with a pencil and paper. 
Right. Like this is not NCIS style, right? Mm, like, right. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. So who would be, so, so kind of walk us through how this gets used. So in other words, who would be the person to consume it? Is it a police department that would then, um, you know, buy your platform for their department's use? Is it a city that contracts and then they have the civilians as well as the police department on that able to use the platform? Like how, how, how does it work? <laughs> so picture a hub and spoke. You have the center hub, which is public safety, police and fire. It could be the city itself with both departments or just the police or, you know, whatever, whatever's available. And in that center hub, you have public safety. And then we connect those spokes, which would be schools, shopping malls, churches, religious facilities, mosques, any place where there's a threat or what we call a soft target, you know, where there's a highly populated area that's at risk of some type of mass shooting could be a shopping mall, could be a grocery store, as we've seen in Buffalo. Uh, but our goal is to connect with their jurisdictional police department. And we're essentially going from instead of that whole chain of caller to call taker, call taker to dispatcher, then on to officer, we're going right to officer, caller to officer. And the way we designed it is for them to use quickly under stress. And they're providing us with information that only supports our objectives, which are universally, whether you're at a terrorist attack in France or a school shooting here in the U.S., which is contain the scene, stop threats, and treat injuries. Those are our three goals. Every Everything else takes a backseat to those three immediate goals. So our application that is citizen-facing supports those three. They provide us the location of the event, the location of the suspect, and the location of injuries. Wow. Okay. All right. And so I just want to pivot for a second. We're going to come back to the to your app momentarily. But, you know, I want to get your thoughts on what happened in Uvalde. Um, again, this is a constantly evolving situation. We get new information by the minute, it seems like, or contradictory, contradictory, excuse me, information, you know, by the second. But is this a situation where your app could have been helpful had this department or the city used it? Or, you know, what could have been done differently to make sure that less people died? If You know, ideally nobody died, right? But at least right. have less, the least amount of casualties possible. Right. And look, it's, it's, it's always difficult to come in and, and Monday morning quarterback things um, mm -hmm. compared to what's happening in, in real time. Um. What I can tell you is, you know, we, we tend to do case studies on these types to, to kind of put Sarah up against it and to see where we could have done better. You know, it helps us also create the best product, you know, and, and we look for those little moments where everything would have changed if. And when I looked at Uvalde, one of the big ones was there was a two minute lag between when the suspect crashed his car and began shooting at the school. A teacher saw him and apparently called 911, went back into the building, actually closed that back door, but it didn't lock. And this is the last information that came out. And it was fully two minutes before the suspect went in that same door. And we look at that like, okay, if we had Sarah in that moment, instead of the teacher calling 911, if the teacher activated Sarah, the police would have also gotten the same response. Immediately, they would have gotten that call and possibly been there faster, but most importantly, Everyone in that school, as far as the teachers and staff, would have gotten an alarm and could have gone into lockdown mode. So even if that back door didn't lock, if we could have locked that classroom door inside, 
or the classroom beyond that, because now we're hearing he may have gone into multiple classrooms. You know, that's where you're going to see that slowdown of stopping that suspect, or maybe even the suspect being forced into a confrontation before he gets into the school because it's locked down. You know, we just look at those other moments. The other ones are, you know, we have the ability through Sarah to video conference in with callers. So if they report, you know, the suspects here, they report an injury, we can video conference in. Maybe the video conferencing would have given a better view inside that classroom, you know, because it's coming from a child in that classroom that we could possibly see what's happening. You know, there's just there's different ways, you know, obviously we have a lot of human error components with this situation. Most of all, and, you know, I kind of said it from the beginning, watch, there's going to be a communications failure somewhere in there. And sure enough, there was huge communications failure. You know, reports are coming into one agency. They're not getting to the other agency. You have one of the commanders on scene doesn't have a radio. It, you know, we're hearing all kinds of things coming out. And I'll, I'll wait to see, you know, the rest of the report. But, you know, this is the unfortunate reality of public safety of this limited technology these you know this antiquated equipment that really just slows us down and just handicaps us when we're trying to respond yeah absolutely so you mentioned that you know even a child in the classroom or the teacher could have activated sarah if it was in place so how does it work from that threat perspective is it that let's say it's an app let you know like you put on your phone and then you would click and then that's what triggers it or as much as you can discuss without it being you know obviously yeah, no. we're not trying to <laughs> yeah, no. um so it's, it's a simple app to download but in order to log on to the app you have to get if you're from a school let's say whether you're a teacher, whether you're a student or a staff member, you have to get permission from your school. The school has to grant access to that application. So you can't just go on and, and download the app and that's to reduce false alarms uh, or the wrong people getting on. And it's the same on the public safety side or in a business side, you have to have that organization that grants permission and manages the users. So we make sure that we don't have the wrong people on or people that are no longer part of an organization on, we constantly keep that updated. And once that happens, and once we connect that school, let's say to that police department, when that alarm goes off, it is a direct connect to every officer, every firefighter in that jurisdiction that's logged on to Sarah. So they're getting it instantaneously. And then it's also putting that alarm out in the school. And it only works when it's on campus. So if you know somebody's home, and kids playing with the phone, they can't set off the alarm. But what about the instance if, let's say, the kid happens to be home from school and then hears through the grapevine, hey, so-and-so is going to go shoot up the school because he's mad that teacher X you know, failed him for this term or something. Is it possible for them to somehow alert or do they have to now either call 911 directly or call the school and have somebody right. right. They can call 911 directly and we would encourage that or and not or and call the school because the school can go into lockdown. And also if schools receive that type of threat, if they hear through the grapevine, like you said, that something's gonna happen, you know, they could activate Sarah preventatively just to lock everything down. And then we can start as uh, the police and the responders showing up, figuring out what's happening. Okay, we don't have a threat on scene yet, but the school's already locked down, that's good. We can pass on information to them saying, listen, there's no threat right now, but we're locking down as a precaution. And then we can take our more methodical steps. 
Very cool. And then uh, Betsy from Facebook. Hey, Betsy has a question. And her question is, what about hackers? What do you do to make sure, again, without giving details that would compromise anything, you know, what are there safeguards in place to guard against a hacker, you know, coming in and then causing chaos? Yeah, and that's one of the big reasons why we have an organization that has to give you permission and they can remove users, they can change users. Also, our entire system is on Microsoft Azure government, which is Department of Defense level encryption. Uh, and then we also add our own encryption measures and we're constantly testing the system ourselves. We basically have hackers you know, trying to penetrate our system. So we always see those weak points and we're always you know, coming up with the latest encryption technology to prevent that. Awesome, yeah, that's... Uh, because with any technology, right, that's always the balance, making sure it's accessible, easy to use, but also safe and does what, you know, what you intended to do. So um, what is, what's next for, for Sarah? What's, you know, where are you trying to get to? Is it about, you know, getting more schools on the platform, you know, and, and also what other technology are you trying to develop with this app? So in other words, are there going to be other uses that you think could be beneficial, you know, for our community? Yeah, we're finding more uses every day. You know, we just really, you know, went full steam in January. So it really hasn't been long. We've only been six months in. You know, we have uh, a police department, a fire department, and a school arm. We have about four more police departments and two more schools that are interested. Um Obviously, since these shootings, that's peaked a little bit more. And as far as the other uses, yeah, we've seen a bunch. In fact, we actually dedicated an entire exclusive platform just for special events like concert venues or music festivals because yeah, that's you were an ultra, weren't you? We were an ultra, yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, that's another big area when you look at either the Las Vegas shooting or even the, the, the crowd crush incident at Houston's Astro World last year at the Travis Scott concert. You know, that's another big area where, you know, there's a threat of a mass casualty. So we actually developed, we actually just kind of morphed our system and tweaked it into an event space. Uh, and we debuted at Ultra Music Festival, which was great for us. It was, it was great to have that feather in our cap because Ultra is one of the largest music festivals in the U.S. It has 160,000 people over three days. So um, it was, and we were quite successful there and we're getting a lot of uh, inquiries from, from the event space. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like you're going to have to get down with festival season because uh, a lot of these DJs tour the globe and there might yeah. be, you know, <laughs> get that passport ready. Yeah. Um, very cool. All right. So what else are you looking to do in, in the space of Sarah? What do you want people to really take away from this discussion? And what do you want people do to do to be able to support you? I think the biggest is we have to be knowledgeable about what we have and what we don't have. When we look at these, you know, incidents, whether Buffalo or Walde, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, or any of the, it has to be 30 school shootings now, since just in this year, just in the school year, you know, we, we really need to start making it a priority. This tends to be one of those things that everyone gets excited about. And then a week later, it just kind of disappears and we go back into the same routine and then the next incident happens and we see the same issues over and over again. You know, looking at Uvalde, Texas, it's very disheartening to know that, you know, four and a half years ago, you know, we were dealing with Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and it was the same issues. And here we are again. 
and nothing's been changed. And we really need to come together as a community uh, and, and sit down and have adult conversations about this and, you know, bring some reasonableness to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, that's, and that's, you know, I've been reading a lot of pieces, you know, in various blogs, Politico, you know, different news outlets and stuff. And, and it, it really is just coming back to the polarization that we're dealing with in this country where it's either you're completely against guns, period, 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 or you want to have your entire house, every single available wall has an AR-15 hanging. And it doesn't seem to be a lot of discussion, you know, in between when we know the two extremes are the minority. Right. Most people are somewhere in the middle where they're like, listen, yes, we have a right to bear arms. What should that look like? How can we do so safely so that we don't have kids going to school and dying or we go to the grocery and get killed or we go to the movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's the reason why I wanted you to come on, Eddie, to kind of provide a different solution, something for folks to think about, especially as we're starting to get ready for next legislative session. We're doing, you know, we have elections coming up, primaries this summer, and then the general election for mm -hmm. governor and other offices in November. But that means our legislators go back to Tallahassee in January. And right. wouldn't it be amazing if a program like Sarah, right, was expanded statewide so that we know throughout the state of Florida that if there is a critical incident, key information can get from civilians to law enforcement and more lives can be saved. I mean, to me, that sounds like something the legislature should take up. But yeah, well, it's the I'm response. The response is a, is a big challenge. And, and we've seen, you know, obviously, look, look, a lot of panic apps have come out now and they're great. I'm, I'm all for them all different types of panic applications and duress applications. And I'm super happy that they're out there and it's a great start, but we're still seeing failure because the response hasn't changed. We're taking something faster now and chucking it into that slow, slow system that we already have. And this is where we need to make the change. And, and you know, it's, it's one component of many things we have to look at, whether you're talking about the gun issue, whether you're talking about mental health, when you have to talk about response, you know, it's, it's also one of these issues, you know, and, and it's one of those things that, we cannot improve unless we change. Exactly, exactly. And then I have one more question from Facebook before giving you the final word. Um, Betsy would like to know if you use drones as part of, of your work to be able to help map out a, a critical incident? Not yet. Uh, but um, yeah, part of our long-term strategy is to also integrate cameras, not just bring in all these camera feeds but use um, artificial intelligence, use machine learning to, you know, cut down the time from, okay, we're looking at 50 cameras, but I need that one camera with the live view. Um, and that's what we want to do. And drones are going to be a part of that. So many police departments have drones now. It's our goal to incorporate that in as an additional visual capability. We're going to see the map. We're going to see where these things are and, and, you know, see where the location of these reports are coming in, but to also have an overhead live view of what's happening from these drones that are out there. It's, uh, it'll be a big bonus for us. Yeah. Huge. All right. So giving you the final word, Eddie, how can people find you, learn more, follow you on socials or, you know, volunteer to assist, get the word out, whatever the case may be. You can go to our website, which is www.sarahappcer.com. AAPP.com. That's C E R two A's, two P's.com.
Awesome. And you're all over the interwebs too. Do you want to share your social media? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, in fact, you can find our company on LinkedIn also. That's linkedin.com slash business slash Sarah app. Uh, that's the best way to find us. Um, and I'm everywhere. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You'll find me. You see the same <laughs> face and same face in every picture. <laughs> Well, Eddie, thank you so much for joining me on Mondays with Melba, sharing a bit about your work. Thank you for your service and thank you for what you're trying to do, because at the end of the day, we need solutions. We can't sit here and keep having the same discussions and getting you know, stagnated in our state house as well as in D.C., while people are still dying. We've got to find different ways, whether it's through technology, whether it's through grassroots means, but we have to find a way to make sure we keep our kids and our community safe. And this is a very simple, nonpartisan way to come about it. We're just trying to improve response. We're just trying to get in there and save lives. You know, that's our goal. Thank you for keeping the word out too. Much appreciated. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another Mondays with Melba. Next week, I'm coming at this from a different perspective because I told you I'm about solutions, not necessarily talking about the problem. We're going to talk about the rise in gun ownership, especially in communities of color. So we will have on Lou from uh, Lou Tactical, who's going to talk about getting, if, if you decide that you want to go down the route of owning your a firearm to protect yourself and your family, Listen, Second Amendment is for everybody. So what to think about, what to consider, where to go with it. These are all things that folks should know and have a strong base in to make a decision one way or the other. All right, y'all. Take good care. Bye. Bye.